Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Radio Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books, and subsequently each of our careers, went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a Big Five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. I guess I'll start by saying welcome to the Publishing Radio Podcast, the last episode for season one. There was some discussion about whether or not there'd even be a season two, but we'll get into that in a minute. There, there will be one, and I hope it'll be a little different to season one, a little better, a little more better planned, and maybe we can actually give people like a schedule of who's going to be on it so they know what will be there. That was, that was my thinking, is we could be like, oh, here's the list of names. It might not be exactly in that order, depending on when people get to record and when I get to edit, but that's yeah. kind of the rough idea. Yeah, We were going to do another episode which didn't happen for various reasons that I'll get into in a second. But yeah, obviously we, we've slowed down. Uh, it's been a great year doing it. This this tiny project that we thought would be niche is, is kind of blown up a lot bigger than we thought it would be. But I think it's safe to say we are pretty burnt out at this particular <laughs> point in time. Oh, when was it? I think right after we recorded Carrie's episode and then I went on holiday and I came back and I was like just not feeling it. I think, every, yeah. you know, I loved all the guests we had, but every episode was a little bit of a struggle. I was starting to, I used to check all the stats and be really excited. And then I started dreading it in case it was like, oh, what What if this is the episode where we start tanking? <laughs> and it's, it's just got to the point where I think we need a, a break and we need to stop and recoup and regather for the, the new year. And also actually get some fucking writing done. Yeah. Because I don't get paid if I don't have anything <laughs> in. So. I was, was going to say a lot of that burnout has to do with, you know, other stuff. Yeah. Turns out. Yeah, that's true. We still have our own lives to manage and our own writing careers and various other things to take care of. So. But that, I mean, that, that is kind of funny, right? To get burned out on a podcast that we started kind of just for the hell of it with very few expectations of anyone listening. And 12 episodes planned. We've done 30 now. <laughs> is this 30? This is 31. Jesus Christ, Sonny. <laughs> plus the plus the forbidden episode that never made it to air, yeah. plus the Jericho episode. So it's actually 33. Oh, did we never run the Jericho thing? So I ended up not running the Jericho one in the end because yeah. we I think we really misjudged that audience. Like we went in kind of with all this kind of more advanced publishing stuff to talk to and then discovered that uh, actually yeah. a lot of the people who attended that were kind of at more an entry point, which is yeah. fine. But it was a lot of like backtracking to explain the difference between a vanity press and a trad press. And it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> We need to give you more, a bit more basic bones here. And yeah. uh, I really don't think it had anything new. I'll, I will get the transcripts up for it at some point. But the, between my poor sound quality yeah. and the fact that it was like publishing 101, I just don't think it has a lot for the, the general listener. It's, but yeah, it's not a, a conspiracy to hide or anything. It was just, <laughs> it, was, it didn't quite fit with the rest of the show. So. Yeah, I just never, I never even noticed it. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Very quickly, before we get into any any meat, any uh, of the the one question I was going to address this year, any regrets or highlights? Do you want to start, or do you want me to? I've got some things that come to to top of mind, but I feel like my memory is working at about like forty percent these days, so I'm sure I'll I'll miss a lot. I guess regrets. I I regret making drama on Twitter about Orbit's works digital imprint thing. That's uh, really not our mo is to stir up drama. Yeah, and it was obviously well. just an error. <laughs> No, it was. It did <laughs> yeah. annoy. Like yeah. everyone was talking about it in all the discords and stuff, right? But it yeah. shouldn't. I don't know. I just regretted it because that's not what we do. I think I should have done that on my main account if I was going to yeah. be a little bitch about it. Um, <laughs> that's that's my one regret. I think uh, that, and I, I wish I hadn't split Richard's episode into two. <laughs> that's like yeah. a really tiny editing regret that just bugged me. Yeah. I, I should have left it as it was. Let it be a bit long. Highlights is my highlights is actually one of your highlights, which is that guy who messaged you to say that he'd basically listened to the podcast and as a result of that sent out loads of arcs and approached booksellers or something and also had a conversation with his editor. That is Stephen Ronson and he contacted us uh because of the the podcast and you know basically just said, Hey, thanks for saying this stuff in public and because he wouldn't have known otherwise i may get some of the details wrong but he's written a book that has just come out called the last line i believe and i have not started listening to it yet i have the audiobook that's right yeah um, more thriller yeah i think i think it published with hotter god i'm gonna probably butcher this but i think it's some sort of a mystery thriller set in, mm-hmm. in World War II. World War II. Sorry, I looked it up on Goodreads. <laughs> yeah, World War II era England. And there was something more to it that I was like, God damn, that's that's going to be great. But uh, yeah, so he, as a result of, you know, listening and realizing that not every publishing story is a great one. He had some frank discussions with his editor uh, about likely outcomes you know got some straight information which is awesome by the way got some straight information on who was getting arcs if anyone and then he did a just a ton of legwork on his own to find um reviewers in his genre in his space and i don't know exactly what he did but reached out and got them to to read arcs and it seems like it's paying. His book came out last week. Yeah, yeah, so very good for him. Yeah, very recently. But he had for launch. He had quite a few reviews in on NetGalley and on Goodreads, and I think maybe I, I don't think they let you do Amazon until it's actually launched. But he yeah. got he he got a lot of people engaged, and it seems like they really liked the book. That's I mean that's kind of crazy because. He's got all these people who really loved it, but they probably wouldn't have even heard of it, let alone read it, if he hadn't gone out and done that work to find those reviewers himself. And so, yeah, I I agree. That is a highlight and representative, I think, of quite a few messages we've gotten of upcoming debuts who have said, hey, this is super helpful and gives me what I need to be able to advocate for myself and understand what I can and can't do. But also we've heard from a lot of people who have said, Hey, you know, I, my debut launched 
and or my career and didn't do as well as I, I wanted or my career uh, has not gone the way I wanted in publishing. And it's nice to know that these things aren't just happening to me and that there might be some sort of reason behind them. And so, yeah, I, I'd say I'd say those have been the highlights for sure. There was one sort of thing that I, I maybe shouldn't address, but I wanted to anyway, which is that <laughs> I kind of I was kind of expecting it. Right. That after the podcast came out that I think Scott started to get at least a couple of reviews from people who said things like, oh, I picked up this book because of the podcast. But, you know, I I think I can see why they didn't give him a lot of money or whatever. <laughs> I remember. I, I only remember to, one of those, but I do remember that one. That okay. was funny. I mean, I was kind of anticipating it, but I think my, my response to that is I think people are maybe missing the point there. It's not, it's not about who deserves what advance. It's about the fact that there's no transparency that you yeah. go into it thinking you're on equal footing with other books that it, that if a publisher comes to you and says, hey, we envision your book selling this many copies, we will and won't give this and that support, then you can make informed decisions and you can't really complain <laughs> if you sign that contract at yeah. that point. But it's very, very, you know, that's what the issue is. It's not what they view your book as or some objective standard of quality, which I'm not even going to get into that fight, but it's about, yeah, expectations and clarity and communication and respect for each other, like, from between author and publishers, business individuals. And yeah, and that's always been the beef really. It's, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will say, I mean, I, I don't regret that at all. Right. Like no refunds. Yeah. I've, I've no refunds at all. <laughs> and I mean, I, I never went into this with the idea that everyone was going to love it as I've hmm. experienced this industry more, I have become even less optimistic about the prospects of everyone or even a large majority of people loving what I write because I just, you know, God, how do I say this without getting myself in trouble? I am okay writing things that are for very specific audiences, right? And I, I'm not of the opinion that I am a normal person with normal interests. So, you know, I, I never, <laughs> I never really thought that all the normies out there were going to love everything I put. But I will say that, you know, the highlights to, to counteract that I, I have had people pick it up, pick Rise of the Mages up because of the podcast and message and say, Hey, I like this. Thanks for being so honest. And I've had a lot of people, uh, which is crazy because, you know, the book eaters, got quite a quite a good launch but i've i've seen a lot of people who mentioned your book and having picked up your book because of the podcast and and said that they really loved it um even though it might not have been something they they would have picked up otherwise so i think there's been good and bad uh, on a personal level there i mean some people might have hated it but i don't read my reviews so i won't know <laughs> <laughs> just i i think when you know when you first mentioned that you wanted to go over regrets and highlights, I started thinking like, uh, do I regret having been so harsh at times, in particular with things that I was assuming or uh, even just guessing at with regards to the industry and people or entities within the industry and their motivations to do certain things? And honestly, no. 
Like maybe a little bit, but at the end of the day, no, because I do think it's an industry that needs to change in a lot of ways, even though there are extremely good people um, in it and great people that I've been able to work with. I, I don't think I, I regret, you know, the overall tone of it. Um, highlights for me, like obviously we've had people come to us and say, hey, we've learned a whole bunch from this, blah, blah, blah. But like I've learned a ton, right? Oh, yeah. I've got to meet some of my publishing heroes. Yeah. Cameron Hurley. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it might seem very basic, but even just that, was it our second episode we did with uh, Jeremy and Auntie's books in, in Spokane? Mm -hmm. God, uh, that was that was revelatory for me when we were going through how everything worked with how, you know, just, just getting a better understanding of, of how engaged publisher sales reps are and how much the catalog and those sales reps affect what gets into stores and how many, you know, I, I and not just that, I mean, there, there have been a, a ton of episodes and a ton of guests that I've learned a lot from, but that one always sticks mm -hmm. out in my mind, just as the one where I sat there like, holy shit, why, <laughs> why couldn't I have done this right before I launched, you know, uh, that would have been great to know. So I guess what I've learned from talking to people over the year is that arcs matter and that that tends to be my advice when I talk to new authors now, if they ask me for it, I don't volunteer it, which is if you can get arcs, you know, whether it's ebook or print, or if you have to author copies, get out there, make yourself a press sheet. I have one on my website. You can use it as a template. It just has basic information about me, my book, where you can be bought, the kind of languages it's in, it's ISBN, stuff like that, a blurb, photos, you know, take that, take swag if you can afford it, get to booksellers, give them two copies, you know, <laughs> these are things you can help you if your publisher's not doing it. And the other thing I've learned is, which are more from not the podcast, just seeing it across debut years, how so many things just hinge on like the smallest of decisions by random people. And yeah. I mean, they're not small, but it's just like the right person at the right time choosing to support your book makes a difference of tens of thousands of sales. And that 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 remains crazy to me. Yeah, I was particularly feeling that this summer because Book Eaters launched, the paperback launched as a pick of the month for Barnes and Noble. Um, and that's a difference of anywhere between 10 and 80,000 sales, depending on your genre. I mean, it's it's huge, right? But it's like one or two people, again, who love the book and advocate for it. So all, all of that is just, yeah. <laughs> there's still loads of stuff we don't know and still loads of things we hope to learn yeah. so i guess i'll get into like where we're at after a year if you want to start with that i feel like i'm talking a lot sure i i will absolutely echo that arcs comment it's obviously not everything mm -hmm. and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes as mentioned you know your barnes and noble pick the sales pressure that a book gets behind the scenes with sales reps that publishers send out to all the, uh, you know, all the different booksellers and things. But in terms of things that you can see, it does sure seem like arcs and a high number of arcs is something to push for and, and absolutely something I'll be pushing for in the future. The other thing I'll say is I think... Along those lines, editor fit is probably mm. the largest variable in your publishing career, right? Like all of those things you're talking about, all those little things that happen behind the scenes mostly 
to affect the outcome of your publishing career, uh, any given book happen because of your editor or don't happen because of your editor, right? And a lot of things may not may not happen even if you have a great editor and a great editor fit just because of what you've written, what your uh, industry or your genre look like, et cetera. So it's not like it, it's a it's a silver bullet. There don't seem to be any. But editor fit, I think, is a huge deal. And I'll get into that in a minute. But the other thing is really just don't sign a small deal. I think that especially when I when I went into the industry and got my, you know, got my offer, et cetera, I certainly was of the opinion that I could overcome that and I would do whatever it took to succeed anyway. And I really didn't know what it meant. But from what I can tell, the death rate on small contracts is astronomically high. People in the industry won't be surprised to hear that. But what I think people getting into the industry who aren't, you know, on the inside quite yet may not understand is how, what that means, right? Like if you sign a first deal and that deal goes nowhere, those books or that book goes nowhere, you are not in a great position. The most likely outcome by far when that happens is that you are once again out of the industry after having spent years and years writing, editing, and promoting books that your publisher did not promote. And it will be harder than ever to get back in. Exactly. Yep. Because you now, now you're not a an enticing debut that could be anything. You're not a lottery ticket to them. You are, a, in their mind, a known quantity with a poor sales record attached to you. It makes no sense that they don't take into account the fact that they are responsible for almost the entirety of that sales record, but that is how they judge you anyway. <laughs> and it's kind of funny to me that authors can then go and leverage a good sales record to get more money out of the publisher when the publisher almost certainly knows that they did everything to, <laughs> to make that happen. Or, or maybe not everything, right? Like quality matters, fit with readers matters. But they know they know that when they put money into a book, it means something right so i'm uh, i i'm imagining a lot of editors are or at the very least the senior executives are executives are out there uh scoffing when authors are quoting good sales numbers and asking for more money on their next deal yeah anyway i guess do you want me to segue from there into where i'm at a year a year on what's changed and then i'll shut up and you can take the rest of the show <laughs> not the rest of it but yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> So along those lines, I, well, my agent worked a minor miracle or maybe even a major miracle. I'm not sure. And I now have a different editor who I feel is a very good fit for the Iyer books. And, He's a good human. Yeah. And, a, <laughs> and a, a good human, though I haven't known him for a long time. So you could still disappoint me, Robert. But... <laughs> You know, that, that's been nice. And, and that just is going back to the editor fit thing, right? Like I, I don't have any solid outcomes to, to show for that, but even just the personality fit style interests, etc., it's a big deal. So I'd, I'd encourage people to look really hard at the editors that they're submitting to when they go on sub and, and try to talk through that with an agent. Just to very quickly clarify, you, uh, Scott, was a 
essentially assigned an editor, which is not an ideal situation for either author or editor, not very common mm-hmm. in publishing. Usually yes. you're picked up by someone who actually likes your book. Um, Correct. Yeah. Or, or at least has an interest in your book. And I think your previous editor mostly publishes sci-fi. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And and I will say that, you know, the, the relationship was quite good for quite a long time and I, you know, there's nothing personal yeah. there, but yeah, I think, I think the fit is a, is a huge deal, right? It's kind of like that thing in corporate America, well, corporate anywhere <laughs> where they say, you know, you don't leave a job because of pay or whatever. You leave jobs because of a bad manager or people stay because of a good manager, whatever. The editor-author relationship obviously isn't a, a, a managerial, well, I mean, kind of, but it, it's not a it's not a direct report kind of situation, but it is hugely impactful. The other thing that I probably, sh- I don't know how much I should even say, but I'm going to anyway, because that's what we do on this show. I am writing The Age of Ire and finishing that out. Book two is has been edited by my new editor. And I've got those edits and I'm going through them now. Uh, the book will be ready to go and will be published in late 2024. So I'm super excited about that. I got the audiobook uh, deal, but I've covered that in the past. So I don't think I need to go over that. And that's out now. But my personal plans are to go to a completely different genre because, primarily because, you know, once you launch in a genre, and you're not a lead and you don't and or you don't climb the ranks to lead status regardless of where you started i mean that's that's kind of it the best case scenario for you is that you you probably sign another deal like your first deal that is then ignored like your first books were ignored (laughs) and you're just going through the same fucking dance with the with the whole second contract which is years of your life right probably less money as well probably yeah in my case i don't know that it gets to be less but maybe so yeah i'll i'll be going to and i am writing currently on the side historical fiction i'm planning on doing some uh historical fantasy uh or maybe historical horror to depend on depends on how you classify it some thrillers and mystery in the future i have on my uh, to be written list, but yeah, that's that's what I'll be doing. I, the the Iyer trilogy will be out sooner rather than later, and nothing will be different about that timeline from Tor. But I I really just don't feel like it's like there's a future for me in science fiction and fantasy because of how my first contract has gone. So I will be gallivanting in other pastures for a time. <laughs> and may, maybe make a return to fantasy someday. Maybe not. We'll see. Off the back of that, just to sound like a total douche. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. So my my book followed its marketing trajectory, and it probably. I mean, I really struggled to 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 understand and kind of. I knew how my book was selling compared to Midless Friends, as well. Say, but I, I didn't know what that meant relative to my advanced bracket and my publisher's expectations for what they spent on it. Yeah. But I would imagine that they are pretty happy in the states. Yeah, book eaters earned out the the money for just itself, basically by Christmas of the same year it launched, and it kind of has been giving me pretty decent royalties. I had a s- bigger royalty check than I was expecting this autumn, and I think. As far as I can work out, that I think 
I think that means if Tor had paid me 150k a book and said 100k a book, it still would have earned out by a little bit. That's so, so awesome. I I I'm guessing, and then on the you know obviously in the UK side, the whole all three books are earned out, so that's royalties as well. I think that it's probably sold just a bit over a hundred like 100 120 copies worldwide all formats i'm not totally sure because 100 to 120 thousand right yeah yeah, yeah. i'm guessing because it's it's kind of in the 70s for the, the american side and it's at least 30 in the uk so i don't know what it is the rest of the world over yeah the spanish edition's been out and they tag me every so often <laughs> um and then there's kind of like random foreign language editions which appear here and there yeah it but, you know, again, it was like it followed its marketing trajectory. It's, as far as I know, performing within that marketing bracket. And I'm in a very different position from Scott, where as a result of that, I'm going to try and probably recontract before even my first contract is is like before all the books in that contract are out. So yeah. I'll get into that in a minute because we did actually have a reader question some weeks ago where someone said they'd love to see an episode on what it takes to sell a book and proposal and what what point in an author's career can that happen? What does that look like? And the short answer is it can happen as soon as you have any leverage to do it. Yeah. But before I get into that, um, yeah, so I guess other things that have happened, one thing I do want to address, I'm in the process of changing literary representation. And I wasn't going to mention this, except that, you know, a few friends who knew me uh, and were aware that this was happening, a couple of people were saying, oh, I look forward to the next publishing rodeo you know, expose on whatever's going down, which made me just want to say, you know, there, there's no drama. There's no expose. If there was drama, I would just say nothing, but it was a very complicated decision, a very sad decision. Lots of different things going on for me to leave my agency. You know, don't go pull your queries from bookends or whatever. They're still fine. You know, Naomi's still a great agent. It's just, there, there's so many factors I'm not going to get into, but I thought I'd say that because basically once my 60 day notice period runs out with bookends, I'll probably be popping up. I'll probably be popping up with a different agency at that time. And I just, I don't want people to think that there's like stuff going on. It's just yeah. a business thing. So that's been complicated and interesting. But one of the, the, the things as I've really been thinking about doing that is man, querying when you have a, a book that sold well is a really different experience from querying when you were just an unknown author. Yep. <laughs> and I will always be grateful to my first agency and my first agent for being the only person to actually think that my books were worth something before there was any monetary proof. Yeah. <laughs> they were. Yeah. I'm not very good about promoting my books on social media. And I think actually in some ways, sometimes people are a bit surprised to find out how well it's doing Yeah. Um, because I just try not to talk about it very much, <laughs> but, but agents know, and it's, Oh, this sounds terrible. I'm just going to have to edit it later or something. Um, I think you're doing fine. You, you don't query when you've had a successful book. Yeah you let agents know that you are interested and then you have discussions and you interview them and it is a totally different dynamic. Yep. Uh, and that's, and that brings me into the conversation about leverage, which is what does it take to sell a book on proposal? It takes leverage and you yep. get that in different ways. So yep. in nonfiction books are sold on proposal because you have a platform where you have expertise and that platform can be you're a celebrity or like you're a doctor and you've written a book. Well, like what's it called? This is going to hurt. That was like a, memoir about yeah. being a junior doctor at what point in the career can this happen so i've written three books one of them is published two are kind of in edits ones with my editor and i'm looking at recontracting and at this point in my career 
you know, I have sales from a book that's earned out really well, which is outside of my control. I didn't do jack shit to promote that book. Like I did nothing other than drop some cake pops off uh, and make a podcast after it already come out. But <laughs> that isn't, you know, I didn't really do anything. But the the point is, even though it was out of my control, the book sold well because the publisher's edits, uh, efforts paid off. So now I have the leverage to go to a publisher and say, well, I want to recontract and I have a pitch. So when I go into those negotiations, I won't have a completed book. I will have a proposal for one book and some pitches for one or two others, depending how many books they choose to buy off me again. That's that, you know, that's essentially, I mean, there's timing issues. Michael Mame has talked about this a lot with us in private, that basically when your books come out and you have sales, you then know how the book is done. And when you have sales in a book that makes the money that you ask for a really simple calculation, you know, if your books are worth $20,000, that's, that's how much they sell every time you just, you're going to get that advance offer and it's probably not very negotiable. Uh, when it becomes dicey is in situations like mine where they're going, right, the first book sold, we don't know how the next two will sell. Yeah. Right. So then I'm taking a gamble where it's like, I could wait till my other two books come out and then recontract. And if they both do really well, I'll get a lot more money than I would trying to recontract now. Yep. But if those next two books absolutely bomb, I'll get less money than I would trying to recontract now. So it's it's a very, it's like this weird kind of poker game where you're trying to convince the publisher that you might do well. And they're trying to gauge like, oh, do we want to miss out on this book and, and risk losing it? Or do we want to you know risk overpaying, but make sure we have it and then hope that it does well. And it's, it's like a whole little kind of shell game that you're doing with each other. Yep. And that's, that's where agents are very useful. So definitely don't try that yourself. I'm just saying that because someone told me it recently, Oh, you don't need an agent. Just go and get authors, society of authors to do the contracts for you. Don't <laughs> do that. <for> sake. <laughs> I, I mean, that that's the, some total of leverage. Sorry. Yeah, go on. Yeah, no, I I was just going to to add some contrast to that. I have I have been told by people that I trust to to be telling me the semi-objective truth that I probably will not sell another book on uh, uh rather I will not sell my next book on proposal. Mm. I yeah. do not have that leverage. And I just wanted to to mention a couple of things. One, my book actually hasn't bombed. I, I don't have my recent royalty statement, but like my agent was pretty stoked about my numbers, given the deal and, and deal size, et cetera. Uh, my agent was pretty stoked about my numbers and has said that other publishers he's put authors at that have achieved less uh, than that in terms of sales have been pretty happy about getting, you know, giving a next contract to those authors that said especially with my plans to well i i'm not going to rule out locking in another you know another contract with tor if that's mm. the way they want to go and if i have something that i that is meaningful to me but i'm pretty sure even if it is with tor i'm gonna have to write a complete book and they're gonna have to see that book judge it and i'm still yeah. going to have uh you know those that sales record hanging over me without the context of, okay, well, how much support did it get? It's just pure, what did it sell? And I've got friends who are out of contract and mm -hmm. in very similar situations or, or possibly tougher, you know, where they're, they're staring down the barrel of like, right now I have to go on submission again. Yep. 
with the sales record hanging over me like some kind of criminal record yep. and convince publishers that I'm trustworthy, even though what happened isn't their fault, yada, yada. And there's, you know, there's sort of degrees of it. So there's like pitching a proposal and there's pitching sample chapters and the amount of sample chapters can change depending on how much of a risk you are. So yep. one friend is writing like a hundred pages, typed pages, just like mm. a third of a novel basically right to go on subway so it's not quite a full novel but it kind of almost is <laughs> that's interesting oh, oh there's all yeah there's all variations in between and it's a, it's a very intricate calculation i think a proper agent could talk to you more and i had originally intended for for my agent to come on and 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 have that discussion but now that we've parted ways I, i'm not gonna i feel it'd be like weird or mean or something to invite them onto the podcast now so yeah we've not done that as we're still working through our 60 days of disentangling book divorce. Yeah, it's, it's hard the, the, the leverage one. And I think uh, just as a side note as well, if people are ever thinking about changing agency, I'm always happy to talk about that in private or through email. It's just not something I felt like going into here because it's way too complicated. Well, another thing I wanted to, to comment on that very quickly is that I think that's super understandable, right? Like, yeah, I think people who haven't been through similar things might think of that as a very drastic step and a, a, a huge thing. But like people change mm-hmm. agents all the time. People change editors, usually between contracts, but, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes in the middle of contracts. And when you're getting into this business, you know, so little, or at least I did, right? Like you're kind of just there to, to you're, you're just happy to be there and you'll take whatever you can get kind of thing. Yeah. And then you, you learn a whole lot, not just about the industry, but about the person you're working with and about yourself, you know, like my plans yeah. for my career in writing have changed a lot in the, in the years since I signed a contract with Tor. So I think it's a super understandable uh, situation. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's fine. I was just going to say, as also my kid lit projects are probably staying with bookends for the, the foreseeable future. I've got secret middle grade picture book projects going. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, I've hopefully got a fantasy novel coming out early 2025. I don't, I'm not totally sure which one it will be because I've kind of ended up writing two at the same time. Just <laughs> in another book. <laughs> and after that, I've, I've pitched a, a top secret sci-fi which so far has had a, a decent reception from the people who've read sample chapters and from editor and so on. So we'll see how that goes. Is there more? I have to cut that bit. Cause is there, no, there's not more. Of it. No, there's not more than that one scene. God, that was so good. Sonny. I, I just, that's another thing I want to say is that I just absolutely love your writing and I have loved getting to watch you operate in your process. And there is a strong streak of madness to it, but uh, (laughs) you, you are also just so purposeful and so determined in your quest to understand um, every single aspect of storytelling and you are, uh, inc- I, I've just been super impressed with you both behind the scenes and with what you produce, you know, on, on paper. I, if we, ha- if we didn't know each other, I don't know that the, the book eaters and the other books that I've, uh, or scenes that I've seen from you would have been like the first thing I would have picked up, but I'm so glad now that I have read them because they, <laughs> they are fantastic. So there, it, it isn't just... That's kind. Yeah, well, sometimes I, I am nice. <laughs> it, 
<laughs> not often, so don't get used to it, but sometimes I'm nice. <laughs> so that that's another thing. And I think we've said this before, but just to be clear for people listening and gagging when we say it's all on the publisher uh, to sell your book, et cetera, et cetera. We fully understand that it is not all on the publisher. It is mostly on the publisher in terms of commercial sales, but not entirely because what you write and how you write it does absolutely matter. I'm cutting some of that. So, you know, <laughs> you better not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not that nice often enough that you can no, cut it. No, fair enough. <laughs> I think some of the best advice I've ever seen for, for publishing came from Grace Lee on Twitter, which I think was advice given to her and she was repeating, which is that basically every time you see someone succeeding in publishing and you feel kind of frustrated or envious to think about like, but would you have been willing to write the book that they wrote? Uh, and I always found that really helpful because the answer is often no. It's like you, you see some book... I can't name a single example without getting myself in trouble. So I won't. Some of them. You see some book you really hate and it takes off and you're like, what the actual fuck? And then it's like, but would you have been happy to write that even if it made you successful? And hopefully the answer is no. Uh, I, uh... <laughs> Dep it, it depends on what level of success and which book. Like I could write the shit out of I'm some Rand. Uh, uh, well, no. <laughs> But I could I could write the shit out of some dragon books, and if I had you know a guaranteed payday at the end of it, good lord, I would be all over that. I mean, I think that one's a bit different because that's like IP. Is that a, is that a secret? Is that is I, it just off? I don't think that? I don't think it. I don't know. I don't really care because they've made. Are we, it, are we not supposed to say this? I, well, I don't think okay. I found out from any privileged uh, individual, and uh, I mean, I think I heard from you, and they've made a shit ton of money on it and they're the ones that okay sign that contract so i think they're well written but yeah f uh, to the best of my knowledge i i have been given to understand on good authority uh fourth wing is an ip book by which i mean some editors sat down and kind of came up with the idea and then approached authors with money and not so great royalties to do it and that was successful and i think that happens a lot middle grade and in fact this is kind of what's going on with my middle grade project that's if it, if it doesn't fall through that's essentially what my middle grade project is is yeah. an editor approaching me for it but it's not so common an adult although it's maybe becoming more common yeah and my my immediate reaction to to hearing that and the reaction i've seen most often from authors is now the marketing push makes sense because the publisher yes. had so much more to gain from pushing that book than pushing a book for which they had to pay higher royalty rates, right? Um, and also it's been totally vetted by marketing teams and all that, I would assume, and has all the elements that they want for a successful story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you do still need a good author to carry it off. Yeah. Uh, and everyone keeps telling me that the, the, the book has loads of interiority and really satisfying relationships and stuff. I've not read it because I don't read romance related things un unless sort of forced to. But um, I haven't read it because I have had zero time to, to read, read to read I'm things not... for fun in the <laughs> last six months since my latest child oh, was born. God, yeah. But I have heard from a lot of people, both writing people. And normies, like my brother and and his wife. Yeah. I've heard from a lot of people that read it and loved it. And I I have not seen, which is somewhat surprising, I haven't seen very many people saying that they didn't like it. Or at the very least, I haven't seen a lot of people saying that they hated it. 
which most super popular books have a lot of people that hate it. I mean, they're probably there. There's, there's always somebody on TikTok who's mad at something. Yeah. Um, but I haven't gone looking. I so. haven't either, to be fair. But at the end of the day, like I can't, I don't begrudge authors their success. And, and I'm mentioning that as well, yeah, because sure. that's a question I get a lot from people where they're like, oh, I wonder what you think of like Lee Bardugo and signing an eight figure deal. What I think about Lee Bardugo signing an eight figure deal is thank Jesus, someone is making money in the yeah. industry. I hope it's me next. Yep. Good for her. Yep. Congratulations, Lee. Enjoy the money. Great. <laughs> like, I think people have this feeling, right? That it's like, oh, she's made all this money. So it's taken away from debuts. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. The eight figure, it's not like someone has sat there going, oh, I'm going to give six figures to the debut. Oh, no, I won't. I better give it, save it for Lee Bardugo's advance. That money was never going to debuts. It yeah. was never going to you. Yep. It was only going to go to someone like her who makes surefire income, who was a good business investment, who writes books that people love, and she will make a shit ton of money from her books, and that will go and pay debuts. Yep. So, I, you know, I have no anger at all about people being successful in publishing, unless yeah. there's some kind of, I don't know, plagiarist Nazi or something. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I particularly enjoy seeing people succeed with debuts and break in from nothing to finding success and finding readers who love their stuff. It's mm. it's amazing. Yep. So I think I, I've run out of things for that, but I will say for ha- for going forward in the future, there's a, a couple of things. The first is that you know our goal is to learn, and we always enjoy learning. And yeah. I, I've loved all of the authors that we've talked to, but for season two, I've really sort of been sitting with it and thinking about it myself what I want from that season and I don't want to just be an author interview podcast so although we will still talk to authors I want to have more of a 50 50 even split where we're talking to industry experts so for example I want to talk to the the lady that wrote that article about is it true that trad pub books only sell 12 books a year no it's not right and she works for bookscan and she's really interesting people like that uh some actual editors who who don't run screaming from the suggestion when i approach them Mm -hmm. we do have one down on there and yeah some some other authors as well that you know some people who we promised we talked to and some people we have yet to reach out to and that will i'll start maybe doing that in january and then at least i hope i can give people a an idea of who our guests will be and have a set number of episodes so we don't burn out (laughs) and get better at saying no because i was really bad at saying no last year and just sort of said yes to everyone who asked almost until i ran out of space and the other thing that we're doing which is kind of scott's baby is we were feeling very inspired by Carrie's research into YA books, but we, although we deeply respected what she did, we do think that adult might have different results or at least ones that we could study. So we are hoping to launch a kind of author data project yeah. when we launch season two. And if you want to talk a bit about that, Scott, this would be a great time. I do. Yeah. And in particular, I think Dr. Prey's analysis was amazing for what she was able to access. I think that there is potential. I don't know whether we're going to get the reception that we would need to make this useful, but there's potential to get more accurate and more specific data from authors themselves with respect to their books, how they did in terms of sales, and what variables may have gone into affecting those outcomes, right? The hard, well, the hardest part on our end is trying to anticipate 
all of the variables that we would need to gather from people to then predict sales outcomes, right? Financial outcomes. But also it's, you know, I'm looking at our spreadsheet right now. We have like 50 things that we're asking uh, or that we are hoping to ask maybe more than that. Good Lord. We have like 70 things that we would ask in terms of like what your advanced number, what your advanced looked like, what the genre is. We, we look at Goodreads scores, Amazon scores, et cetera. But then we get into things like what was your print run, things that might actually be hard to know or hard to find out, like what the marketing spend was, whether you got ARCs, how many ARCs you got, whether they did paid advertising, whether they did Goodreads giveaways, whether they did shelf awareness promo, uh, and many, many uh, more things than that. Uh, you know, what, were you highlighted in your publisher's catalog? That kind of thing. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say um, our goal with that is to work out what marketing, what marketing at tactics actually work, if any, exactly. and to study them. It's not, not just to like, I mean, we need to finalize it, but it would be, you know, hopefully anonymously submitted. No mm-hmm. real reason that we need to publicize anyone's data. It's just about yeah. figuring and- out like, what was it that made this book succeed? Did it have, you know, X number of factors, like yeah. number of arcs, number of shelf wear, number of Goodreads giveaways? Yeah. Is there a threshold for these things that starts making a difference? Yeah. And, and we'd love to hear from people on what would be comfortable and what would make sense, because I actually don't know that there's a way to, I mean, I guess we don't have to ask for the book title or the the author name even, and that could anonymize it. But there, I mean, there's a world in which we do gather specific data, like we have you input your title and your name, obviously, along with all of this, you know, what, how many books have you sold and all that kind of thing. And we just, obviously we wouldn't release any of that information, but you'd kind of just have to trust us with it. We might get better responses if we anonymize it entirely from the outset. So we might run the risk of getting some bad data with people inputting fake numbers and fake entries. And we might just have to live with that. That's the that's the trade-off between, you know, anonymity and accuracy. So we'll we'll have to think about that and we'd welcome comments from listeners on which of those is more comfortable slash more acceptable in terms of, you know, do we maybe take a hit on accuracy for the sake of anonymity. But yeah, I mean, I think we'd love to hear from people just in general on whether it's something they'd be interested in participating in, because I think unless we get at least several hundred, kind of like publishing paid me, except for Mm. hopefully a little more specific with the things that were done as part of that whole sales journey, I think we need at least a hundred-ish, if not more, to account for all the different genre variables, et cetera to be able to really run some good analyses on what factors are powerful and which just don't matter that much. And that's without even getting into law. I mean, this is just debut analysis, isn't it? That's without even getting into long-term career stuff, which just gets very complicated, I think. But it's more complicated and it's not because after a certain point, your sales history becomes its own straightforward calculation in a way, in a lot of cases. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's... it's a lot, but it's ambitious, but we, we hope we can do it. And I, I think 
people tend to report generally. I, I think what I wanted to avoid, which I think happened with publishing paid me, is that because all the data was just open source and everyone could read it, mm-hmm. instead of starting a conversation, which is what I was hoping would come out of it, I think it just stirred up a lot of bitterness. There was yeah. a lot of like, this person made that, yep. which it, I understand that feeling completely, especially when you're like, I don't know, your nemesis who wrote a book you hated and they got like 400 pounds <laughs> and it sucks, right? But <laughs> But that, but that's not helpful, and that's not something we can learn from. That's just a, a emotional reaction. So this would hopefully circumvent that. Yeah. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, now that we're talking through it, I think maybe doing it anonymously from the outset is the way to go. Because then you take ego out of it a little bit, mm-hmm. and you don't have people. Yeah. Even though it's just me and you <laughs> that would see it, you don't have people submitting. You know, oh, I got eight hundred thousand just to look cool, I guess, uh, which you would hope that's not a a thing, but I can see it happening. So anyway, let us know if you'd be interested. I'm sure we'll tweet about it and and whatever else. We'll probably put together like a a Google form and maybe even throw it. Data protection, all that stuff. Yeah, maybe throw it on our website and people can just go and and put in the, uh, go put in their data whenever. And if and when we get to the point that we have enough data to work with we'll start pushing out analysis and i mean i i want to see it i want to know i want to know what works for people and what doesn't and i'm sure you all want to know too because i think even if we restrict it to debuts only i think the findings will be valid for especially people who are publishing subsequent books who aren't on the like lead fast track right because i think that's where your sales matter more than anything but after that there might still be stuff you can do and or you can work with your publisher to do that might boost your chances at the very least so yeah we'd like to do it but if y'all hate it maybe we won't we'll see let us know (laughs) briefly before we go because this is going to be probably our last episode till sometime in february i would think while i actually write and hand stuff in and try and finish two novels off completely i just need to finish something yeah anyway me too if you want other podcasts, there are a couple I'd recommend. So one is the Failing Writers podcast, uh, and I'm recommending them because they're particularly because they're a bit smaller and you might not have heard of them. And they, they talk to writers at all stages of their careers about business and also about writing. And they're a great group of guys. Uh, and a couple others, you know, print run, everyone knows. One that I've been listening to recently and who we're hoping to have on cover meetings. And that's mm. a podcast about cover designers who work in publishing. Other than that, we, yeah, we've... I don't know. We we have plans. We're still around. Things are still happening. We haven't died. We're, but yeah, we are taking an extended break for Christmas. We're, and we're just we, tired. Yeah, we're very tired. <laughs> Huge thanks to everyone who's listened or, or come up and said kind words. I think the first time I went to a Harper party after this podcast launched, I had 12 people come up to talk to me about it. And I was absolutely terrified. Um, but also, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was it worth it? There you go. That's the question I asked you in episode one. Absolutely. Oh, I, do you do you okay. mean public? <laughs> do you mean publishing or the podcast? <laughs> oh yeah, publishing. Publishing. I still think yes. Uh, okay. I would have approached it very differently, very differently, especially knowing what I do now. But I still think it's it's been worth it for sure. You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sunny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later.